Welcome to The Best Practices, the podcast where we explore the best stories of healthcare practice transformation from the Mid-South Practice Transformation Network. Our network, a member of the National Transforming Clinical Practices Initiative, supports over 4,000 primary and specialty care clinicians across Tennessee, Mississippi, Kentucky, and Arkansas as they lead their practices to thrive in a value-based healthcare environment. And now your hosts, Dr. Thomas Spain and Kirkland Ahern-Jones. Good afternoon and welcome to this week's episode of Best Practices, the podcast where we walk through some of TCPI and Mid-South's best practices over this four-year transformation journey. This week, I get the pleasure of interviewing my co-host, Dr. Thomas Spain. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you for having me. Our subject today is continuous process improvement. And Thomas, we have um, we have heard all about these different terms for these years about quality improvement. And so when I was in school and when I was first starting my career, there was um, this, everybody wanted a black belt in, um, in lean and Six Sigma. Now it's agile. Um, we hear about um, everybody's getting their PMP. We hear about um, the IHI. And there are all these different terminologies. So can you help us make sense of these and help us understand why we chose what we did in the TCPI model? Absolutely. Well, I can certainly try. So you're right. These are all continuous process improvement methods. And I like to start with why do you need a continuous process improvement method? Because what you picked up on is that across industries, there is interest in continuous process improvement and certainly in healthcare. Over the last 15 to 20 years, there's been increased interest in this. I go back to the primary drivers of TCPI, and one of those primary drivers was that to thrive in a value-based payment environment, you really as a practice need to learn uh, how to continually improve in the value that you provide and how to use data to drive that continuous improvement. And so that organizational habit, that organizational discipline of continuous improvement is what is bottled up in each of these approaches. But each approach, whether it's the IHI model for improvement, whether it's lean, whether it's Six Sigma. When I worked at the VA, there was a model called VA TAMIX. It was a really long acronym. All of them are just, you can think of them as a systematic approach to change. So if we don't have a systematic approach to change, what we do as an organization is we just approach change however a leader or however the team wants to approach it. But when you have a systematic approach to change, everyone learns a shared language, everyone learns a shared approach and framework, then we can have the tools we need to approach change in a systematic method. And if we have a direction to that change, then we can use these methods to really work towards that direction. So, some models are simpler than others. So the two most common models that we see used in healthcare really are lean and the IHI model for improvement. And you see lean 
there are some health systems and some organizations that have really taken lean, which originated from out of manufacturing from Toyota in Japan and really have adapted that into healthcare. And lean is a, is a, is a, it starts as a culture and a management philosophy before it's even really a, a practice or a process improvement method. And so, um, lean can work very well in an organization when the, when the organization, uh, fully adopts lean and, um, and their, all their leaders are trained on it. And from the top all the way to the front lines, everyone is working based on those philosophies of lean and it can work really well. The IHI model for improvement we see in a lot of smaller organizations. We see it also in a lot of um, settings, maybe within larger organizations where the whole organization doesn't have a mindset of continuous process improvement yet, but maybe a team within the organization does. And the IHM model for improvement was really designed to be simple to learn, simple to use, but still provide the power of that systematic approach. That's actually why rewind three and a half years ago when I first became involved in the Mid-South PTN and we were deciding how do we want to teach our Mid-South PTN practices to do continuous uh, process improvement, continuous quality improvement, we decided to use the IHI model. It's simple and, um, and you can go just about anywhere in healthcare and someone's familiar with it. So Thomas, let me just drop back and punt for a second because what I heard you say is that we need continuous quality improvement process, but why can't we as an organization just know we need to change, know we need to improve, set our eyes on the direction, and then go about putting a, you know, um, putting our eyes on the goal, marching toward it, and then seeing if something works? I think one of the most practical reasons why that doesn't work in, in many Cases, I won't say it would never work. In fact, their organizations have um, have been able to improve uh, without learning a formal improvement method. One of the main reasons that an organization that might not choose uh, a particular method uh, to learn might be setting themselves up for disappointment is that if you look at all these models, there are things they have in common. There are there are things that you need to think about before you really start working on the improvement. There are things that you need to think about as you're making change. And one of the common principles is that you don't want to make too much change too fast. You want to be able to learn from the change that you make and you want to have a feedback cycle where you're able to learn from that. And those sorts of things, if, if everyone who worked in healthcare had come from uh, a great manufacturing company or everyone who worked in healthcare had come from a software team that did agile development really well, maybe everyone would already be imprinted with that. But I would say that typically our human organizations don't change that way. So we'll spend a lot of time preparing for a change. We'll create a great plan for the change and we'll roll it out to the whole enterprise. And what um, we often hear is that, um, People are frustrated with the results that they get from that. And so using a continuous process improvement method helps you try to avoid some of those pitfalls. So it's a way to not get out in front of your skis too often. Right, right. That's a great way to put it. So what is the first step of the IHI um, model for improvement? How, do, how does an organization begin? 
one of the great things about the IHI model for improvement, so IHI stands for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And as an organization, they make so many of their materials available online on their website. So there's great resources to be able to learn it and learn it quickly. It It's divided into two parts. And it starts with the first part has three questions that you really have to address before you get started. The second part, if people are familiar with anything in quality improvement, they probably heard about the PDSA cycle or the PDCA cycle. And so the second part has to do with testing changes using that PDSA cycle. So the first part with those three questions, those questions are what are we trying to accomplish how will we know that a change is an improvement? And what change can we make that will result in improvement? And so they'll often say that those three questions are really getting at setting aims, establishing measures, and then selecting changes. Those are kind of the key key parts of this model. And if a team is going to set out to do quality improvement, it really is in their best interest to think about each of those three areas before they start making changes. Set an aim. What is our aim? It really needs to be an aim that's quantifiable. It needs to be measurable. We often use the acronym SMART, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time frame bound. If you think about about a great aim, it has all of those. I'll say from my experience working with many, many teams doing quality improvement for the first time, they frequently don't think of most of those when they set an aim. The aim will be something that's more nebulous. We want to improve diabetes care, right? And so using this model already presses them to think a little more deeply to set a quantifiable aim. They need to think about how they'll measure to know that a change is an improvement. This is the one that gets left out the most by teams. Um, And so... um, uh, thinking about that up front. And then there's some some kind of tricks of the trade and quality improvement that help make sure that you set out on a course that's actually achievable and sustainable with measurement. Because even the way that we tend in our organizations to approach measurement often is, is counterproductive to being able to actually get started with doing good quality improvement. And then um, selecting changes, again, there are there's an entire toolbox of QI tools that can help support this, but um, uh, to get started with making change uh, in the IHI model, you you narrow in on a first change that you want to test with what's called a small test of change, and that really starts you into the PDSA cycles. And so after those three questions are laid out and and by the practice or the team, then what happens? So once those are laid out, they flow pretty naturally into what we mentioned is called the PDSA cycle. PDSA stands for Plan, Do, Study, Act. And it represents really nicely visually because it's it's a circle. And the idea is that when you come out of those first three questions, you're already most of the way towards planning the, the P for your first change. Um, the do is actually testing and implementing that change. And we can talk maybe in a few minutes about some of the ways that um, teams, I think, get, get started on, a, on the wrong trajectory with their first do. Um, the, the S stands for study. That has to do with the, the reflection and the evaluation. Did, 
did the change that we made result in the kinds of um, uh, results that we thought it would? What was our experience with that change? What have we learned from the change and how it went and how, how maybe how it went like we were expecting or how it, how it didn't. And then the act has to do with taking that learning from that cycle, processing it and informing the next plan cycle so that you then make the next, the next uh, small test of change. And so a PDSA cycle, once you learn how to do this, a PDSA cycle can happen very rapidly. The, the smallest first ones may happen in a matter of an hour um, or less. But you, but as as the as the cycle goes on, the cycles can often become bigger. They become bigger in in terms of maybe time, but also in terms of scope. And very naturally, if the if you if you use a model like this, then you begin to uh, accumulate almost like a snowball. You begin to accumulate learning about the changes that you're making. You have the opportunity to make course corrections frequently. And the goal is, as an iterative model, is to be able to work towards that aim, which always kind of stays out there in front of you as that north star. Um, and then the PDSA is the engine that gets you there. In addition to being a primary care physician, you have served and still serve as our director of practice transformation here at Mid South. Can you give us an example of a time when? You've walked with a practice through a PDSA cycle, and they've gotten um, through the A. They've looked at their results and then restarted the cycle, or what that would look like for a team. Sort of give us that exemplar of what it would look like getting all the way through the cycle and then doing another iteration, um, realizing that um, they need to tweak well, I think that the way that I've seen practices start with uh, their first QI endeavor using this model and the PDSA um, is often to start thinking about their first PDSA cycle as something that that they'll plan and that that first cycle time will be a month, it'll be a quarter, it'll be a really long period of time. So the the best examples that I've ever seen of quality improvement using PSA usually start they can start with one patient encounter. They can start with the next five patient encounters or one physician's panel for one afternoon. And so the seasoned QI teams will often test changes that small. And so what this might look like in the setting where the goal is to improve diabetes care and specifically the practice is wants to work on, say, improving the rate of doing diabetic foot exams. Uh, the diabetic foot exam is a really important part of the routine care of patients with diabetes to check and make sure that, uh, that that they are not losing sensation in their feet, which is um, which is a complication of poorly controlled diabetes, and it's uh, the sort of thing that in a busy clinic setting can very easily be overlooked. It's the sort of thing that can be forgotten about until the patient's already left. But it's also the sort of thing that that the physician doesn't have to do because 
other people on the team, if you really have a healthy team-based model of care, can help make sure that patients who need a foot exam get a foot exam. So if a practice was setting out to really improve their rates of um, diabetic foot exams, they might start their first PDSA cycle by having the medical assistant identify the patients who um, need a foot exam and by putting, say, an indicator on the door of the room, right, to remind the physician or the nurse practitioner, physician assistant, this patient needs a foot exam. And so when you um, are preparing to do um, a quality improvement project and you're going through those three questions about aims, about measures, about changes, you think through things like, particularly on the measures question, you think through things like, um, how will we know if this is a success, but also how will we know if this has unintended consequences? An unintended consequence of a change like this might be that um, perhaps it slows someone down in clinic, right? And you get behind and, and patients have to wait longer. An unintended consequence might be you're putting um, an indicator on the door and somehow that could be perceived negatively by the patient or a family member, right? If they're walking by the door, if someone goes out to go to the restroom or come back in. And so you think through those things in the preparatory stages, but you but you aren't going to anticipate everything that will actually happen. And so the first PDSA cycle for this with a team might be, we're going to do this with Dr. Smith's clinic. We're going to try it with... Um, we're going to try it with all of the patients who come in with diabetes during the Tuesday afternoon clinic next week. And then we're going to get together at the end of clinic or on Wednesday morning, and we're going to talk about how it went, and we're going to think about uh, whether we want to try it with more patients or whether we want to change it first, right? And so the, the PDSA cycle would start with that medical assistant then working to um, – to do the change, to do the intervention during that half-day of clinic, that would be the, the D. Then they would get together, they would study it. Whatever they learn from that process would inform the next, the next change. And part of the nature of quality improvement is that you don't want to think too far down the road. So in our hypothetical example here, we can imagine what happens next, but to be honest, you could imagine that depending on a clinic and how they work, one clinic might actually make a different second change than a different clinic would, right? And the point is we're not picking that um, prematurely. We're not picking it um, arbitrarily. We're letting the the process of the iterative uh, quality improvement cycle help inform what the next change should be. So in this setting, they might pull back and they might say, you know, that that worked really well, but we didn't anticipate that the medical assistant was going to be, um, was going to actually, this was going to kind of compete with the medical assistant also needing to do a different task. And so they might step back and kind of rework that and think about, you know, we're actually going to try this a little bit differently next time. And so instead of expanding it to Dr. Smith's full panel, they'll try it again for another half day, right? And then they'll pull back and see. And maybe the second time they do it, they go, that worked better. So let's, but we only tried it with three patients that afternoon. So why don't we try it for a full day and just see what happens? And then maybe in trying it for the full day, there's a second medical assistant involved in the morning, right, because of the staffing. And so you have to work through those different changes. But you can imagine 
you could very quickly in the course of a week or two weeks get five, six, seven, eight PDSA cycles under your belt if a team was really working on this. And by the end of the second week, the team might have figured out a process that actually has worked pretty well. They've tried it across several days. They've tried it with a few different team members. And it's working well enough that Dr. Smith could talk to her colleagues about this change that they've made. And the practice can, with a little more confidence, consider that this is something that would work for multiple clinics on multiple days. Whereas if they had just designed the process like they thought it should be at the beginning, pushed it all out, the medical assistants would have been frustrated, the physicians might have been frustrated, everybody might have gotten behind, and they've avoided it by using the systematic approach. That's a great example. You know, there's a there's that expression that we use a lot and CMS uses a lot and I actually now have it on my wall that it's okay to fail and fail faster and eventually you will fail forward. It sounds like a way to do that and actually um, make it be productive. So um, you, you mentioned a little while ago that you had some examples of times when the do, you had seen the do step. Um, uh, you'd seen folks stumble <laughs> At that step, can you talk a little bit about that, Um, some lessons learned? Almost every example I can think of where I've seen this get off in the wrong direction have to do with biting off too much to chew at the beginning. And so when I'm coaching a, a, a practice team or when I was working with our coaches as they were getting started with the practices, we would constantly be coming back to this idea of starting small. And... I love working with innovators. I love working with people who think about disrupting healthcare. You talk about starting small, and and sometimes you want to be like, but healthcare is so broken, we need big changes. In the kinds of settings that we're talking about right now, there's actually uh, there's actually as we were just talking about some great wisdom and power in starting small, and so and so when you've never done quality improvement before, though, you may think that starting small is doing a PDSA for the next month or the next quarter because your data is reported out of your EHR monthly or quarterly. And so you think, well, we're going to use the data out of our EHR to measure, and so we're going to do a PDSA cycle that's a month or a quarter. I encourage teams to think about the end of the spectrum where that that first PDSA looks like one patient, it looks like one half day, it looks like a day, and where the measurement, because they're so closely related, where the measurement is not something that's electronically generated, um, but maybe something that can be, at the beginning, even collected using a tally sheet manually. It could be collected using another method, um, you know, the, the equivalent of um, putting the encounter sheet in a stack and at the end of the day counting up how many encounter sheets there were, something very simple like that, because the 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 other main pitfall that I see is um, uh, it, that's related to that is that um, they never get started because they can't figure out how to measure because their measurement is tied to their EHR and to getting data out of their electronic systems, which we've had a lot of experience with on this project and. And everyone from small to large practices, it takes, a, it takes time and resources to be able to do that. So to be successful in quality improvement, you think about ways to measure that don't, that don't, that aren't contingent on a, 
on a data extraction from your EHR. The last thing I would say, and it goes along with biting off too much to chew, is that sometimes people, sometimes people try to make too big of a change first. And so just like the P- first PDSA cycle could be for a whole quarter, and that would be too long, the first PDSA cycle could be around making, um, if, you've got a, if you've got a clinic that has four locations and 10 providers, the, if, you, if your first PDSA cycle is implementing a workflow change across all four locations with all of your providers, it's probably, um, it's probably better to think about that first PDSA cycle being with one provider in one location and then working the, working the model from there. And if you work the model from there, you'll get to four locations and all providers. Um, Those are the pitfalls that the the biggest pitfalls that I've seen. Thomas, I want to thank you for allowing me to interview you, my co-host today, and thank you for walking us through the IHI model for improvement. Are there any last words you want to share with listeners, sort of some lessons learned, some best practices um, as they put their foot forward um, and were to start on this. I mean, we'll, of course, have links down the show notes, as we always do. Um, you, mentioned the, you mentioned IHI and some of the resources, but if somebody is just getting started with this, what would you tell them as their very first step? So like so many other things in life, quality improvement really is best learned by doing it. And so I suggest that you certainly want to read and prepare and learn about how to do it. But I suggest that practices or teams start with something small within their practice, something that doesn't feel like they're tackling the biggest problem their practice has ever faced, and that they just get started. There are resources online, a ton of resources that if someone will invest a couple of hours to learn, they can really learn the basics of this. And then I think it's helpful to have someone who, who works like a coach or a mentor, someone who's done a little bit of quality improvement. Um, there are resources available virtually. Um, but uh, often, if, if someone will reach out to their maybe a local uh, hospital or health system, maybe to a practice in the community that has a reputation for, for already being a high-value practice, you can frequently find someone who has uh, who has some lived experience in quality improvement and it can just um, you know be available for you to bounce questions off of. I think those two things are really helpful: having someone that you can reach out to if you have questions, and then just getting started. Everybody, join us on our next episode when we will be continuing this discussion, and what we'll be talking about is establishing measurement goals, talking about data. One of the things that um, you mentioned, Thomas, a little while ago is that one of the greatest stumbling blocks that teams come across, and I certainly know this from not just this project, from my entire career, is that one of the places where um, teams get stumbled um, is that it is really hard to figure out what size data um, we're going to pick, figuring out what are those right measures that actually tie to the goals we want to achieve. 
And so next week we will be talking about that again with Dr. Thomas Bain. Thanks everybody for joining us on today's Best Practices. You have been listening to Best Practices, a podcast showcasing the best of the Mid-South Practice Transformation Network's primary and specialty care practices that have undergone substantial quality improvement transformation and the subject matter experts that have enabled this work as part of the CMS initiative, TCPI. For more information, we invite you to visit MidSouthPTN.com. Subscribe to Best Practices and hear all of our transformation stories. This work was funded by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative, under grant number 1CMS 331549-03-00. The contents provided are solely the responsibility of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of HHS or any of its agencies. The views and opinions expressed here are not necessarily those of Vanderbilt University Medical Center or its affiliates, and they may not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes.